Hello! Welcome to the Impersonal Opinion Podcast. I'm Chandler Klebs, and I'm here with Jamie Soden, WSD. Yep. George Ortega, Quaid, Logan, and Poffo. And today we're going to talk a little bit about morality slash, slash ethics, um, because there's been a, a resurfacing of this topic recently between some of the co-hosts, and everyone has so much to say about what morality is or isn't, whether it's subjective, objective, or all of this stuff. And so we each have a lot to say, so who would like to go first? Let me, let me go first and argue for a biological, psychological, um, inborn, um, innate morality that, that's tied to the emotion of anger. In other words, like in psychology, anger is known as a reaction to a perceived injustice. You know, that's, that's what anger literally is in psychology. So, you know, what happens is like, you know, like some animal or human being, you know, just picked a, a fruit off from a tree or something, right? So some other animal comes along and yanks it from them or something, right? I think we, we have this natural ability, in some cases, not all, because things get complicated, to, to know what's right and wrong. I would agree with that, um, especially when you use the term biological, uh, except that we also have biological imperatives, which are now intrinsically moral given our evolution as a species. So where uh, someone would come in and there would be like the perception of, um, of like, so, you know, of an offense or someone infringing on your, on your territory or uh, making googly eyes at your girlfriend and you're going to like react as an ape or a primate would. And that is your biological imperative to do. But nowadays, like since we're homo sapiens, highly evolved, um, you know, hominids, we, we're not going to react on those impulses. So we have uh, – well, some of us still do, but okay, – Well, Papa, yeah, yeah. no, Papa, wait a minute. I think what would happen is yeah. like we would still experience the emotion and the moral judgment that what's being done is wrong. But I think what you're saying is that we wouldn't necessarily act on it. We wouldn't necessarily right. become aggressive or hostile. Absolutely. Right. So our, our morality has has developed a, a further. Our, this, what I'm trying to say is uh, it's not just uh, biological, and we can't always listen to our biological imperatives. Otherwise, we would all be reproducing, and we wouldn't um, have this uh, antinatalist attitude that, like me and Chandler have, you know, that we don't think that we should reproduce. That's that's a conscious choice as a highly evolved, um, you know, organism that's no longer following the, the biological imperative. All I'm saying is I agree in part that we have intrinsic, um, innate biological morality based on the fact that we're a social, a social species that we have to work in, in groups. We have to work together, as I think um, Jamie mentioned, altruism. But there is also a, a higher, a higher developed uh, level of morality that we should follow and and adhere to as well. I, I think you know, in general, you know, like our, our basic morality is um, is I think you know prim primitive in a sense, but I think you know it could be summed up with that adage: um, "Don't do unto others what you wouldn't have done unto yourself." Right? I mean, like if if somebody if 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 you um, don't like being treated in a certain way by someone, then I think that would like that would kind of like structure your moral compass, you know, to general, tell you you would good, sorry. 
that, that's a good general rule, but it doesn't apply in all in all cases. Some people are sadists, some people are sadists. <laughs> it doesn't always apply. Uh, but the golden rule is a good general uh, like rule of thumb. I would say, and I just, I just unloaded all of this on to Chandler. Um, I sent him my um, excerpts from my book, where in I have this personified anthropomorphic vision of nature that that um, imparts a new set of commandments to the main character of the book, and all the commandments. It's almost like a, a rewriting of the Ten Commandments, and it's it's like the highest system of, of ethics and morality, basically you know, that, that's attainable and it all, it all revolves around biocentrism. So I would say even beyond the hedonist, hedonistic imperative, uh, the, beyond the, um, you know, the desire to avoid pain and, and seek pleasure beyond our innate, um, imperatives, we need to have a biocentric attitude and biocentrism should be the structural basis for all morality and ethics. And if you guys aren't familiar with that, I'm not talking about Robert Lanza's book, The Biocentric Universe. That's something else. That's a little bit more in pseudoscience. But um, I'm talking about what the, what the actual definition of the word biocentric means. It means life-centered. So essentially anything that is life-affirming, that promotes health and wellness to living organisms is good. And anything that does the opposite of that, anything that creates harm or destruction or, you know, uh, see, you know, um, imposes upon the rights and values of living organisms is, is what's considered bad. So it's the value of life, I, I believe, in my model, in my ontology, that's what should be the utmost part of the, the – what should be paramount is, is the biocentric attitude, and that's the basis for my morality. That, that sounds similar to um, the British philosopher John Locke's definition of goodness as that which creates happiness – but except, you know, it's, it's replacing happiness with life. Um, we, we run into some problems with that. Um, Papa, how would you address, for example, somebody who's like chronically ill in, in like in great pain and the person is like crying out for euthanasia? He wants, you know. Sure, sure. Yeah. The, what, we're, what we're talking about is not necessarily I mean, I could I could play devil's advocate and give you like a list of, of arguments against this. I've thought it all out. Um, in that case, we're not just talking about the the physical the extension of physical life we're talking about the quality of life we're talking about the experience of that organism so if a person is in excruciating pain um then the merciful thing to do the biocentric thing to do is to end their life that's the merciful thing to do we're talking about the experience of life itself uh, that includes um the physical the physiological uh you know in the physiological context and in the psychological in terms of psychic pain, emotional pain. So it includes all of that. It's not just uh, physical. Right. So, so, like, so, so it would be in regards to the well-being of others, right? The, the well-being of the self first, actually first and foremost, it's the well-being of the self. And then you have to um, qualify that by saying what is actually healthy and beneficial and life affirming and what is not, because a lot of people are, uh, psychologically disturbed, they have mental disorders, so they they don't know what's best for themselves. But it's it's what's um, the well-being of the self and and the well-being of the group or or the other. So we're we're thinking more in terms of of symbiotic relationships, uh, homeostasis. We're thinking more in terms of uh, what is good for the entire um, species, the entire uh, you know interconnected system. Um, yeah. life 
like, so, so like killing killing wolves might be killing wolves might be beneficial in, in medieval times because they're dangerous. They're they're um uh they're attacking young children. I mean I'm exaggerating. Wolves were never really that dangerous, but you know what I'm saying. They're taking the chickens. Uh, so killing the wolves is the right thing to do. But now in in th- at this time period, uh, the right thing is to protect the wolves because they're a valuable part of the ecosystem. You see, and we and we recognize that, and we're not in danger of wolves because we live in these structured societies where we're not out in the country, we're not out in the open, um, and we're not fighting uh, for sort of territorial rights alongside these other um, apex predators. Yeah, you follow me. Actually, yeah. we're trying to get them to thrive because. Yeah, I think what right. you're also right. saying. I think what you're also saying is morality is contextual. In other Actually, words, like yes, under, yes, yeah, okay. Not not just not it's not just. Um, uh, in terms of causality, causational, it, it is also contextual and it is also completely emergent. It is continuously in a state of emergence as we evolve, our morality and our ethics evolve, and it, they should never be set in stone. The one, the one, um, the one constant, the one immutable fact is that it should be in promotion of life, in promotion specifically of valuing life, valuing life above all things. I'm not sure why. Why would you say it's an emergent property rather than something that? Um, well, no, I, I guess so, so. You're saying that like lower in, life in terms forms- of civilized, in terms of civilized cultures, in terms of civilized or um, uh, more highly evolved co- uh, cognitive, uh, um, hi- higher, higher. Uh, in terms of higher consciousness, it's an emergent property. It's also an innate. It's also an innate quality, but in terms of like um, the, the higher life forms. It's, All right, it's like, I mean, like, for example, I'm not sure, like, I would have to say, um, explore what you mean by emergent. In other words, like, for example, um, today in our world, most of us, the vast majority of us eat animals, you know, without regard for the pain they endure in factory farms. So I'm guessing that 200 years from now, you know, the, the world will probably so be vegan. The, the world will probably be vegan. So like, but I'm not sure that's, if that's an emergent um, morality. That is, that, morali- is, that is, yes, that is an emergent. Well, listen, let, let, let me finish. Awareness. Yeah. The, reason, the reason I say it may not be is because like, I think today, you know, people recognize that it's wrong, but, you know, we don't have the moral, um, um, you know, um, we're not the, the our, our conscience isn't strong enough. It's not like that we don't recognize that it's wrong. It's like you know we just Actually, we just. I, I, I disagree. I think I think it just it, it comes down to education. It comes down to awareness because the vegan movement is huge, and it's it, as long as as soon as people become aware, you watch uh, Earthlings, uh, Cowspiracy, Forks Over Knives, you become vegan overnight. Like as as soon as you develop that that level of awareness, obviously you have to have that predisposition to towards compassion, towards intelligence, you know, um, to be, to be, to act more selfless and, you know, to, to not be so self-centered. Papa, but, I'm not sure it's about awareness, yeah, yeah. but rather education. In other words, naturally, if you don't know a, a harm is, is happening, right. you can't really be against it. Right. You're, so you're proving my point. That's emergence that in my, in my view, that's exactly like a, the, the example I gave the metaphor of the wolves. Um, whereas what would be biocentric to, uh, colonists or, I don't even know, like a, a pagan, um, I'm trying to think like some, some people living out in the country, uh, you know, peasants, what would be biocentric to them to protect their, their children, to protect their, their, you know, um, 
their livestock, whatever, would be to kill the wolves. Um, nowadays, what would be biocentric is to to abstain and to to conserve and to protect um, those animals because of our education level, because of our sort of um, our distance from them in in the in the natural environments and the ecosystems. You understand? So that's how it's an emergent property that it's something that develops as we evolve. Um, as a species in a societal level, that's what I mean. What do you, what do you, what do you guys think about this, Logan um, Quaid? Well, I mean, what I think so far is, I mean, kind of, I mean, I, I've noticed that uh, some atheists what they'll posit for secular morality is that um, as long as we can agree um, that we put the well-being of others first, then we can make objective statements about morality. Um, we can say things are necessarily right or wrong based on the well-being of others. Um, I do believe it is contextual, though. Well, why? Why? I don't understand the the um, the focus on others. I mean, like above our own. Would, shouldn't it be equal? Shouldn't like our welfare be um, equally important to that of others? I, I think it should be a, a systems model. I think it should because what you have is this disparity. You're having this uh, this duality. If you think of us and the wolves and the fleas and the mice and the cats and the birds and the bacteria all as part of a system, then you can you can judge and, and create you can create the proper distinctions because yeah he I think uh, Logan was correct me if I'm wrong was just kind of saying it as a um that's almost like in a like a backlash approach instead of being selfish we need to think about others because people have been selfish for so long so yep. it's kind of the, the the it's kind of the polar opposite we're, we're trying to overcompensate for the negative behavior by thinking just about others but it should be thinking about everyone because we're all you know we're all we're all interdependent and inter, you know interconnected in this system uh, my mine is a, a systems model that that recognizes all i think i've mentioned this before whereas i would I would, I would take out the cockroach if I could. If they were little babies, I would kill the, the roaches for my own sake, for my own, um, for sanitary purposes. But I would maybe catch the fly and let the fly go because I can and it doesn't hurt me. I would, I would not eat the animals because I can eat fruits and vegetables. But if a bear is attacking me to preserve my own life, I would, I would fight to kill the bear. So you understand that it's completely contextual and. And, and just depended on uh, it goes back to valuing life overall just the intrinsic nature of um of life forms that that they have the, uh this divine quality and then and then you base it you have to to be the judge in each and every situation but you can't you can't say you can't say all wolves are evil kill all wolves when you see them you can't say kill all bears you can't even say you can't even say let all life forms live you have to just respect and honor life in a general sense and then um, make the judgments Uh, given each situation. I'm going to um, challenge the life component of it philosophically. I mean, personally, I I believe that that life is, um, is valuable, right? But, but in a certain kind of like um, logical philosophical sense, let me challenge that. In other words, like, I certainly can understand how um, we want to. Avoid- oh, excuse me. Are you challenging it to? Dis- are you challenging it because you actually disagree? Or you're just going to play devil's advocate. Um, I'm challenging it. Well, it depends. I mean, um, okay, go ahead. Part of me, part of me, like agrees with what I'm saying because it's logical. The other part, you know, has kind of like taken the the attitude that that life, you know, is is an, um, an inherent good. So, so it, you know, I'm not really sure, but. 
the idea is like, you know, with, with pain and pleasure, certainly what's, what creates pain is bad. What, what creates pleasure and happiness is good. But what, what's the reasoning behind, um, you know, the moral conclusion that life is good? Because, because, life, because life is the conclusion of existence of, of the universe. That, that I just had this conversation with um, Logan yesterday. It was pretty in-depth. It was, it was pretty good, actually. I wish we recorded it. But life is, is the penchant of, of the, the laws of nature. The forces of nature bring about life. So I determine logically, I deduce that um, life is what the universe cares about. Therefore, life is the most important. And that also coincides with my biological, as you said, my intrinsic innate desire to help and to heal. And my, my sympathetic neurons when I see someone suffering and I would seek to mitigate that pain. Um, also, my uh, – you, you know, j just in a, um, in a, in a social, social societal way, uh, like that working together, working um, in cooperation is more beneficial to myself and to others. So in every way, it's logical and rational. Well, Papa, let me challenge that. In other words, like the universe, as far as we know, has been around for about 14 billion years. Life has been around for about four, you know, 3.5 to 4 billion years. So like the, the, the majority of existence has, um, has been that's without life. That's completely anthropocentric on this planet, you're saying. Not right. Well, we, well yeah, as we far don't know, as we know. We don't know. On other planets, it, they could have evolved, died, died out. Um, gone far beyond us, you, you know what I mean. So we're just speaking from a, um, we're, we're we're speaking from a um, uh, good you know, point. All right, but even even with that point, we could say okay. that like um, the known universe is fourteen billion years old, and so like right. life couldn't have exceeded that as far as we know. And then you know our logic tells us that there's an eternity of time before the known universe, and eternity of time, you know. Well, after and yes, you're right. We we can't know whether there was life or you know before and after the universe, but but I still don't get the the um, you know I, I don't get the logical um, defense why life, why life is most why life is the most important. Bi um, Biocent. Uh, I'm sorry. Um, geocentric was the word I was thinking of. I'm like a stickler for words. Geocentric was the word. That that was a geocentric. Um, sort of approach, thinking that life has only arisen on this planet and it's taken this. No, long. no, I'm not saying that. I'm saying yeah. let's yeah. let's say life. And my personal yeah. belief is life has to exist, you know, abundantly throughout the entire universe. The, law, the, the laws of nature, the laws of nature are are consistent throughout. Then yes, then it's then it's happening everywhere at all times. We're we're just too far from the nearest. Is it Alpha Alpha Centura? It's, um, the um, what's it called? Um, I'll just, I'll just research that planet, um, Prote Pro, uh, Proteus B, I think. I know is, what's the, what's the argument for, what's the argument for um, concluding that life is good? In other words, like one argument can be made, Papa, that without life sure. there's no pain. Sure, sure. And we're, we're getting into uh, antinatalism, which I, I did my homework on because uh, I just joined that group and I started to realize that there's this whole movement uh, of people who want – feel the same way as me and Chandler. They want to stop reproducing. Um, what you're saying, right, is the argument that um, uh, what is better, kind of Ecclesiastes, whether it was Solomon or whoever wrote it, um, you know, that 
that better is the, those who have not yet been born to not experience the pain and suffering that, that goes on under the sun. Um, I would say what makes it good, it's not even a good or a good or evil thing. What makes it desirable, what makes it the objective is the fact that it's what ends up occurring. So because it's what ends up occurring, I am, I am following suit with the laws of nature saying this is important. This must be important at the same time. Uh, the vacuum of space, the emptiness, the the millions of years that it was just bacteria, the millions of years before that, um, that's also good because that's part of the process. But if this is what the culmination of existence has led up to, to this point right now, and this planet is filled with an abundance of life, and because of the laws of nature, uh, life seems to be the penchant probably everywhere else, then I would say it's a pretty good um, estimate to say that, that life is the most important thing. That's why it's biocentric. You follow me? Well, yeah, I mean, my, my, my challenge to that might be that, um, you know, life as we know it um, necessitates pain, whereas, like, there might have been, like, a, a quote-unquote consciousness within the universe before um, life began, and, you know, after life, let's say, might end on this planet or in this galaxy, whatever, that might be more desirable, you know, I would say I would say experience. I hope you can follow me because I'm I'm following what you're saying. But I would say experience is actually tr actually trumps it. Experience itself trumps what is and, and within that experience, um, pleasure and fulfillment and joy and peace and happiness are are what is most important and desirable. You're saying, say the omnia or the dios uh, before it became the universe didn't know anything, didn't know a pleasure from pain, didn't know up or down. And, and that was better because, you, you know, I, I, you always come back to this. I know you say that, that existence. No, actually, I'm not saying that. Papa. creates pain, creates Papa, pain. I'm, not saying that. I'm, I'm saying that, yeah. I'm saying that like that yeah. life, you know, life, biological life is what gives the opportunity for pain, you know, right. as well as pleasure, of course. But what I'm saying is that like what preceded life might actually had a might might have had a different mechanism for pleasure without inviting any pain. I, I know we we talked about this once before. I'm saying that you cannot have pleasure without pain. You can't ha you can't have any you can't experience anything without having the, its opposite or its contrast. You have to have that contrast. And I'm not I'm not necessitating pain. I think we should we should avoid pain. I think we should create. Um, anesthesia we should we, you know uh methods of homeopathic or, or drugs you know medicinal things to do to to uh alleviate pain and we should strive toward ending pain and suffering and even death i, I agree with that but i'm also saying that in a, in a qualitative sense you could not even know the value of of what um of what joy and happiness and peace and pleasure are without first experiencing its opposite there's it's just there's no way to, to do it you can't have a blank canvas and say this is good it's it's nothing you you, ha well, you have to have I, there has to be contrast there has to be some my, distinction. my response to that would be to ask you like you know whether you've ever what whether you remember ever having been dead and then like do you value life because it seems like we value life never having experienced death no, but I, I value I value life from this um, from the sensational experiences that I have, and I value it uh, due to the seeing the seeing the um, the cessation of life of the, the of seeing death and the and the end of 
of this experience. I, actually, I'm not. I'm not arguing with you. I'm not saying that non-existence or oblivion. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that existence and perception and life is better than oblivion. I'm saying within the experience of life, life is more valuable. Within the experience, within the context of life, like the experience of oblivion um, is no experience, and, and and whatever the universe was before it became the universe. Um, I'm saying there's that it, it wanted on on a speaking on, on a personified level it wanted this otherwise this wouldn't have happened so there's something valuable about life just uh, let's, inher- let's get inher- some more views Quaid Quaid yeah. what's your take on sure. this uh, for, I think he left the call somehow oh I see Jamie uh, Logan and um, W oh all right so Chandler what, what's your take yeah, this has been very interesting so far um, with what you're talking about, the pleasure and pain in life and stuff. And it's interesting to think about because when we think of life, we think of we think of consciousness, don't we? I mean, we think of awareness of consciousness at, at some level. And so it does seem like with, um, with being aware of things, there, that comes with the pleasure and the pain. And yet we all want the pleasure without the pain. And I say, why can't we have pleasure, no pain? Like I would have liked it if the universe had allowed us to just feel pleasure or and instead of having pain when something threatens us, that we just die painlessly if we're going to die. That would have been a lot nicer. I keep saying the same thing. You, if you had a four-hour orgasm, it would hurt, okay? If you, if you literally were in a state of ecstasy, it would no longer be ecstasy. It would be hell. Because anything that, that continues, anything that is that is perpetual becomes undesirable. Do you understand? There has to be like like you have to have a break from it. There has to be that contrast in order to experience its novelty. I, I keep coming back to this. Novelty and experience are are the are the prime directives of the universe. And that and within that novelty and experience to the organisms, the life forms, the manifestations that are Engaging in the activity, um, obviously pleasure and pain and, and joy and happiness are 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 preferable, um, and and that's what we should move toward. But what I'm saying is, like, you don't you wouldn't even know what pleasure is if there was only pleasure, and and you would probably get sick of it. I mean, we know this. The grass is always greener on the other side. Uh, people never like where they grow up. They always want something more. They crave novelty and new experiences. I'm saying that I'm saying that change, and and um, and variety, like that's what makes life worth living. That's that's the entire purpose is to experience something new. Well, yeah, Papa, we, if we, we can if have we, consider um, that- new, we can have a variety of experiences without experiencing pain, though. No, no. See, Chandler, you're speaking from this point right now, knowing what pleasure and pain is. I agree with you. We could let's move forward from here and try to avoid pain and try to eliminate it. And I think George had talked about this. He's talked about this many times before. But I'm saying if you never experience pain, if you never experience pleasure or pain, whatever you experience continuously would not be desirable. That's what but I'm saying. Papa, let me challenge that. So you said like, you know, four hour orgasm would ultimately be painful. But I mean, if, if you, <laughs> you apply know, that. that reminds me of that there's, there's this fire out there that does bite you and does give you a four hour painful erected. <laughs> yeah. Jesus. And the first thing that came in my mind while y'all That's said funny. that, like, what the hell? <laughs> oh, we won't, we won't explore the visuals that, that we think what, of. Long lost in Viagra. 
but all right. Yeah. But the thing is, like, if we apply that, we can apply that argument to life and say and say, well, like, you know, if a four hour orgasm um, is going to like result in pain, how about a like uh, a 10 year life? That's got to be agony. I guess I guess I'm using it because it's such an extreme example, but obviously your body contracts and you tense up, and and you, you know what I'm trying to say. There is that that contraction and that rush, and then it's the release and the and the relaxation afterwards that makes it enjoyable. The only reason an, an orgasm is enjoyable is because of the climax factor of it, and then the release. If you it, uh, let's let's change gears for a second here. A sneeze is, is, an, is like an ejaculation. It's the same thing. A sneeze is a form of ejaculation. So you go, <gasps> and then you let it out, right? Well, what if you, what if you were only breathing in and trying to get those particles out of your, out of your sinuses the whole time? Or what if you were only sneezing and, and sort of ejecting and erupting that the whole time? Either one would be painful. It's the contrast of the two that makes it a, um, I, I guess, an, a, a kind of What's what's the word? Um, I'm drawing a blank. Um, it's a, a utilitarian. It, it's a utilitarian purpose for it to happen that way, and that's what makes it um, necessary. Is the the contrast of those two things of the the heightened um, elevation of it and then the release. And so what I'm saying is, you, if you always had the elevation, if you only had the one, you 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 would be unhappy with that, even if that was. What, what we would term from our perspective pleasurable right now you follow me well i mean something I, I think we need to keep in mind here is that there that there's not absolute pleasure and absolute pain there is degrees of pleasure and there are degrees of pain and something i'm curious about is if pain didn't exist would that necessarily follow that there's only pleasure i mean i mean uh have you seen that movie um i think it's called the uh the final sense or something like that. And it's got Ewan McGregor and, um, that chick from, uh, from Penny Dreadful and they, they slowly lose their senses. I think starting with the sense of smell and then I might have this backwards, but then it's like touch and then taste and then event and they're hearing. And then eventually they go blind. And in the end, what they realize is the greatest sense is like love is like experiencing. And he kind of literally goes through this. They show you like the world and, and how, society is responding and, and reacting to e to losing each um each of these sensations it's like a it's like a um a global um pandemic and then they lose each sensation and then with each sensation they learn to appreciate the next sensation and they they compensate and then at the end they have no sensations except their emotions it's just very interesting it's 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 totally like relatable to, to what i'm saying um <laughs> what, what you guys are saying like, speaking of sneezes and he sneezes <laughs> No, but I mean, like, I'm still curious, though, like, if we removed pain entirely, would that necessarily fall that there's only pleasure or is there something else? from where we are right now from from right now moving forward? Sure. If we removed pain right now, I think humans, I don't think it would be healthy if we removed all pain. I think we would become uh, careless and and we would become sort of apathetic. And there wouldn't be, I think pain is an instinctive necessary aspect of this experience. I think that well, well, that's not necessarily what I'm asking though. I'm yeah. asking if there was no pain, would it necessarily follow that there's only pleasure? That seems to be reasonable. 
you know, by there definition. Is, there's no pain from, from this point on. No, there wouldn't be pleasure. There wouldn't just be pleasure because what it, what creates pleasure is the up and down. It's the roller coaster. It's the, it's the well, up and down. Well, we're saying, I mean, like, you know, we're starting with the premise that there's no pain. I mean, you can't have, you can't say if there was no pain and then say that it would be painful to have no pain. That's a self-contradiction. Um, yeah, I think, but he's starting from, from right now, from our experience right now. No, I know. Well, so, I, I, I guess I misunderstood that part because I was just thinking of, in general, if there was no pain, would it necessarily follow that there is only pleasure, like in general? I mean, dep it just depends on the experience. So we're talking about a human being, an animal. We're talking about life overall. What, what are we specifically talking about? In well, let, let's, say, let's say we engineered um, an agent, a, a, a drug that eliminates our entire experience of pain. In other words, like we touch a stove, we still get the message to remove our hand, but it doesn't involve any pain at all. So all of a sudden, like biochemically, we experience no pain, but this chemical, this agent, doesn't touch the pleasure set centers. How does that sound? I think, I'm not sure if this answers your question. I think that it would make us, I think it would make us irresponsible. I think it would make us we would end up hurting ourselves as, as children who are born with this disease, um, that they don't have the nerve, the nerve, um, endings, the nerve centers are damaged. And so they get bruises, they get cuts, they get scrapes. They don't realize when they're hurting themselves. I think it's a in the experience of this, of this visible, visceral, tangible life as, you know, living biological carbon-based life forms. Um, I think it's absolutely necessary, but like if you eliminated it, I don't think it would just be pleasure. You would still, uh, are we talking just sensationally? Because you'd still have, you'd still have desires. You'd still have psychic um, traumas. You'd still have thoughts. You'd still have things that you're not experiencing. You'd still experience. Um, we're just talking about physio like physical well, pain. You got to realize that all pain fundamentally is psychological. You know, we hurt, hurt ourselves physically and that's, you know, that pain is felt in, in the brain in a similar way as like not getting our, what we want is felt. So, right, you know, right. It's it's translated. I mean, well, there's a difference between psychic pain and yeah, it's all it's all transferred and translated and communicated through our brains, right? Um, but I'm saying there, if you have no sensation, and then you're just living in the world of of no sensation, you could still experience sadness and grief and, and things like that. You're saying it's all one thing. So if we remove that, um, the question is, would everything else be pleasurable? I'm saying that what's what is truly pleasurable is balance and homeostasis, so that there is not more pain than pleasure, but there is a healthy. It's kind of like a like a seesaw, and we kind of get to the point where we finally balance it out. Where yeah, the seesaw is level, basically. The, where the seesaw is level, and and we balance it so that there is less and less and less of the negative, and more and more of the positive. But the positive is still is experienced. In re it, we still it has to be experienced in relation to the negative, otherwise it will not be positive. I, be I believe this is this gets to the core of the entire purpose of existence of the universe. The cyclical nature of, of, of the the whole universe is is happening for that reason. Um, I, I don't know. I, ho I hope we're not getting like way off topic. I um, think we are <laughs> talking about morality. Well, no, and, uh, pain think, are very but, very important in the context of morality. And well, yeah, they are because. Yeah, Here, here's the thing, guys. Um, like now, I, I want Jamie to also be able to have some say since he's st he's staying up late to be with us. But uh, yeah. like, 
like for example, I would have to say that like morality or ethics is a system we use to maximize pleasure and reduce pain. That seems to be what the goal of morality or ethics is. Yeah. No, and so yeah, pleasure and pain are goal, central. Yeah. yeah. I don't think I don't think it's the only goal. I think that's a huge part of it. I also think it's to to prolong the experience of life. I think it's to improve the quality of life. You could reduce that back to pleasure and pain, but um, I, I just I think there's more to it that sort of uh, I, I don't know, I, I guess where we're you know where it's getting uh, kind of muddled up is is that the different types of pleasure and pain. I think like uh, we're talking about sensation or psychological you know, physical, yeah. that's, that's where there is a huge difference there. Like there, there's the pain of somebody, um, you know, being burned or cut or, or smashed or whatever physical pain, which for my purposes is the only type of pain I really care about because the yeah. psychological pain, such as grieving over the loss of a loved one or, or something like that, I can deal with that. Like psychologically, uh, you know, I've had some trauma in my life, but psychologically, over time, I can heal from psychological damage. Whereas you know, that's interesting, Chandler, because everybody I've ever met feels the exact opposite. They would rather uh, have physical pain, which is which seems much more temporary, um, and you know, and then than psychological, than emotional trauma and stuff like that. Every yeah. person I've ever met says the exact opposite. But I'm yeah, not saying but, you're wrong. That's just your experience. Perhaps. Right. Well, it's interesting because yeah. here, here's what I look at it is that a, so, a large amount of my psychological pain is by knowing the actual physical pain that all the animals, humans included, on this planet are experiencing, and you know, do for especially for the dumb reasons that they are. And so, like to me, I have a hard time believing that without that physical pain that comes when we are bodily injured, without that, it would be very hard to have psychological pain. It would seem to me. Well, yeah, no one, no one is, um, no one is saying that we want to uh, maintain um, the, the 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 kind of system that that we have right now. Remember that nature is is primitive and it's a self organizing emergent system. So. It, it is it, it we are smarter than nature on some levels now um, and we can do better is what I'm trying to say as as products of nature as manifestations of nature um, we can do things in a more efficient um, holistic way uh, nature is operates with incredible proficiency and efficiency but at the same time it's very short-sighted narrow-minded it does what it does for the individual organism you know you know through natural selection through uh evolution and everything um but like what you're what you're talking about i'm not saying that that we shouldn't eliminate um pain and suffering on any level i'm saying that like i'm saying that they it had a it had purpose to begin with there was there was a reason for it we would not have the understanding that we do that pain and suffering is bad if we had not experienced and seen so much pain and suffering. You follow me? So it's an educational aspect. And now that we know, now that we know better, that we can we can do better. We don't have to kill and mutilate and torture and and harm. You know, we can do the opposite. But we would not know. Literally, the universe is learning what right and wrong is through us. We we now know that these things are undesirable, and and um, you know, unwanted now 
Right. Because of I agree the with experience that. of it. So so it was a necessary it was a necessary evil to get us to this place. Otherwise there'd just be no education. I, I keep going back to that. You literally like Adam and Eve, uh, you know, Genesis mythology, you literally don't know right from wrong. You literally don't you can't you don't know that you're naked and so maybe you're better off in ignorance, but at the same time, you know, that's not what life wants. Life wants to evolve and and learn and grow and expand and and um sort of become self-aware see yeah well i I'm agree not, I'm not, yeah i'm not sure our morality morality as human beings is superior to that of nature i, I think you know we can we can argue for the, the opposite for example um nature can be very violent um, vicious, but that violence, you know, is very temporal. It doesn't last long, you right, know, compared right. to, for example, like, you know, we torture people for, you know, put them in, 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 in cages for years and like what we do to animals or animals. Yeah. George, uh, no, um, human beings, we are superior. We are superior to nature in terms of morality. And at the same time, we are absolutely the most detrimental uh force in terms of morality simultaneously uh nature is incredibly primitive and brutal and cruel it's also fair on a certain level it, it, it's all about maintaining balance and homeostasis but it doesn't care about the individual at all we care about the individuals and the whole and and human human beings absolutely are the are the, the first <laughs> Well, well let me ask, are, are we are planet. we saying yeah. because like we're saying that we care because we experience ourselves caring but are we saying that the universe doesn't care because we haven't discovered a mechanism that would explain that caring the universe begins to care as as its individual um constituent parts begin to care so as each species as each biological organism learns and develops what morality morality ethics and morality that is the universe collectively learning morality, but but from the beginning, from the get-go, this is an morality and ethics are an emergent property. There there is a there is a penchant to evolve, to self-organize, to sustain, to adapt, survive, to reproduce, to multiply, to spread out, to um, to to sort of manifest in all these different forms, and that's it. It's a general system that's embedded it's a general kind of kind of programming that's embedded in where all that matters is that life forms will arise and emerge in as many forms as possible in as many different ways as possible to ensure that they live as long as possible and now it's so that so that we can have a, a, a higher quality of that existence like whereas in nature it does not have its own morality it it, it its morality is developing through us well, I mean, are, are we limiting that conclusion to this one universe we know of, or we would would we speculate that you know any previous universes might have had you know morality even more superior to ours? I uh, part of um, you know part of my philosophy is to only address what is uh, practical and relevant to the human condition. So I don't even speculate because it's irrelevant right now. All that matters right now is what applies to this Earth, this planet. The biosphere, the ecosystems, human beings, and all non-human animals. So I would say that um, whether there's a multiverse or not, what existed before or not, this is what we're dealing with right now. So this is what we should focus on. So I don't know if that answers your question, but I'm saying yeah, no, like, that's good. That's it's, good. It's, sure. it's irrelevant. It's 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 nice to speculate, uh, but it's completely irrelevant because we we have enough to deal with right now. We got enough on our plates. 
Yeah. Um, y- yeah, I'm still here. And see, Jamie has brought up an interesting point before. He like that morality is sort of a social thing. Whereas if you're alone, you're the only life from you're stranded on a deserted island, then it doesn't seem like you know rules about how you should treat others. For example, doesn't make sense if there are no others. Um, well, there's always others. There's always others, and it's both. It's actually both because your body is a collection of, of different or, different organisms and different living systems all put together. Even if you're alone and you're isolated, the, the you can't you can't be isolated ever because the desert island that you're on is either going to have vegetation, it's going to have oxygen, it's going to have uh, water, it's going to have some form of of, uh, of ecosystem. Um, you're never alone or isolated at all. Even in space, um, there's there's dust particles and you know like. It's, it and is. Chandler, the other point is, is like, the other point <laughs> is like, you know, we would be including ourselves. In other words, if we harm ourselves, that would be morally wrong. Well, yes, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yes, that should come first. The, that our, the, our, our first, um, our first prime directive is to honor the divinity of our of of the self of who we are as unique, um, you know, expressions of the divine of the unique. Uh, biological organisms that have that have this incredible legacy behind us and have this incredible potential set out before us, you know. So um, we we have to honor, you know, our intrinsic um, life essence first, and and we we can we also do that by honoring others because we recognize that we're all interdependent. That what I do to others is I'm I'm essentially doing to myself because everyone else is really another aspect of my, of myself yeah that, yeah that makes sense um i don't know if jamie's with us because i haven't heard him yet yeah i'm, I'm still here i'm still here. i'm just uh, listening to your conversation it's, oh okay uh, interesting. yeah but, okay. but in whatever man don't don't let me uh don't let me dominate uh, uh, it's all right I'm, um what i would say to that though if you're alone um there's uh not um an obligation to you know, towards other like people, because if there's no other people, then hate or love become meaningless. You know what I mean? Hate and love, you said. Hate and love. Yeah, hate, hate and love become meaningless if there's no other people and stuff. Well, there's a, there's always other life forms though. There's always other life forms around. So, so for us, you, well, for as long as for as long as we don't like get into a nuclear war and stuff like that, yeah. Right, but again, like so, these scenarios are they? Would they ever apply? I mean, uh, if we're just speaking in a philosophical sense, I would say that there's never a moment where we're we're disconnected from from the other from other aspects of the whole. So, uh, I, I mean, I would agree with you, Jamie, that um, it is a it is a social um, facet of our experience, and it's also a, a biological imperative. It's also um, it's also an emergent property that is developing as our education levels uh, rise, as our, as our consciousness becomes more and more acute and aware of, um, you know, of, of the big picture, uh, our morality also grows and changes. And it's, it's completely, um, it's, it's malleable in that sense. It's, it's always going to be, it should never be stagnant. It should always be in a, in a constant state of, um, of emergence because life itself is always moving and shifting and transforming and changing. So when you see how everything that I, I, I say, I relate it back to life because just by studying biology, by studying life, you, you can, you can understand, um, ethics and morality. I don't believe ethics and morality are a strictly 
anthropocentric concept. They should not be anthropocentric. They should be biocentric. They should not just be egocentric. They should not be geocentric. You know, it, 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 we always have to look at the greater picture. And you can you can do this going inward as well in the, in the micro world. That you know, we don't just um, we don't just live in a world um, that's that's made up of the things that we see. We live in a world that's also filled with microorganisms. So if we don't wash our hands before surgery, for example, um, the person that we're working on is going to get an infection. So we have to be acutely aware of how the system is interconnected and how there are germs that live and grow um, everywhere. So everything that we do is dependent on having that greater perspective. We can't be myopic about any of it. And I, I wanted to say something else I uh, mentioned earlier. If anyone questions this uh, this concept, this idea that that the the goal of life, that that the penchant of life is is to exist and grow and thrive, that that life is the most important thing, just take a piece of fruit, take any little piece of food, uh, any little scrap of of, um, of anything, and just leave it out for a week and see what happens. You always have mold. You always see the growth of of microorganisms and fungi and bacteria, and that's that's the given. You can even in, in space, you can have um, no oxygen, and you know the little um, um, the little water bears survive. You know the little tardigrades they survive. And what I'm saying is, like, life is is the norm. It's it's the inclination of of existence of the universe. Even though there are vast distances where there seems to be no life. The laws of nature effectively provide the tools necessary to create more life out of that nothingness. Out of all right, God, God, this change. has been great, but I got to sure. get going. But like, you know, continue. Um, you got it's an excellent discussion. Okay. Okay, See George. Take care, man. Yeah. Hey, Paul. Nice did, you, did you say that tardigrades can survive without oxygen? Sure. Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> that leads to an interesting idea. Yeah, they 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 can um. They live in space. They can live in, in sulfur. It's crazy. They shrink down and they deflate their bodies. And then when they get wet, they come back, they come back to life. It's, it's amazing. They're, they're called extremophiles. They're extremophiles everywhere. And cool. again, this, this is like what um, – I love those guys. They're a perfect – they're a great little model, uh, a good symbol for, for what I'm talking about, you know, for the, um, the inclination of life to, to, always, to always exist in some form or another. I, I have no – doubts whatsoever there's life uh, on mars in in um microbacterial form or um you know under the uh the giant um the the glaciers and the, and the, the frozen lakes of um oh crap I'm, I'm drawing a blank again somebody help me out who knows astronomy and stuff is it uh um the the, the frozen the frozen moon i think one of jupiter's moons Anybody? yeah <laughs> Yeah, well, yeah, the idea, like, I don't I'll think remember. Just keep talking. I'll, I'll think of it. <laughs> yeah, well, I remember re reading something about Europa, tardigrades. Europa, Europa, that's it, Europa. <laughs> yeah. This is what happens when I write and I don't I don't talk to people, so my, my mind yeah. is always. Well, these uh, kinds of life forms that can live in extreme conditions are called extremophiles, right? Um, right. I remember hearing in the uh, David uh, Attenborough documentaries about them, and there's these things at the bottom of um, the deepest oceans called uh, tube worms. And they open up the possibility of like life forms existing um, mm -hmm. 
very deep underwater, even when there's yeah. like no sunlight or anything, you know. They dark. live off the sulfur, the sulfur and the, and this toxic fumes. Yeah, absolutely. See, we, we just we just define life, you know, carbon-based life as we understand it, but that's just our, our limited perception. I think life comes in trillions, <clears throat> trillions and trillions of forms, uh, every possible scenario that, that could be. Every Everything you could ever think of actually has already existed on this planet. It's, it's incredible. Like if you look at any of them, um, uh, uh, Hegel's drawings and d just just of uh, I, I forgot what they're called, but they're um, they're corals and all these amazing like designs and structures. I mean, like life wants to exist and diversify and and so again, uh, getting back to ethics and morality, um, the most important thing is that we let life do what life wants to do, and that's to exist and thrive, and um, in with the least amount of suffering, you know, with the greatest you know, potential for, uh, for fulfillment and, um, you know, and sort of like whether it's psychological, emotional, physical, um, you know, joy and pleasure that it, that it can, because that's what it wants. I mean, life wants to thrive. So, um, that's, that's my imperative and that's like my basis, like for everything. And, and in terms of valuing and respecting that, that, that divine principle that the, that that's in everything that, you know, you, like I said, take a piece of cheese, take a piece of food, whatever you want, like, uh, and just leave it out. And what ends up happening? Life, life arises from that. Life is attracted to it. It grows off of it. It, it grows in in the most inhospitable conditions, just like Jamie was talking about. Yeah, as long as um, temperatures aren't in the uh, too extreme, you know, like near absolute zero, like in uh, deep space, for example, like as right, long as you right. have some thermal energy, you will have some life. Like sure, but what but what's happening? What's happening in deep space? You have comets and you have meteors, meteorites that are uh, that are traveling and they're carrying bacteria and stuff. And through panspermia, you have the same process. So to me, that's just uh, to get to point A to point B. You know, that's just moving through um, seemingly emptiness and nothingness. To uh, it's just part of the process because the forces. The cosmic forces, these incredible, um, you know, clashes of, of energy and power and dust and, and um, thermonuclear reaction that are taking place at all times. You know, it's all part of the process. And and besides all that, I mean, go beyond, man. Dark energy, dark matter, like literally the most powerful things in the universe. We can't even detect. We can't even see. You know, it's 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 in the spaces between the atoms that there is the most power and influence. So it's it's everywhere, man. It's on every level. Like like fundamentally, there is there is power. There's movement. You know, and that's actually one of the um, the things that qualify what life is. The the qualities of life. One of them is uh, is movement and transition and and you know changing shape and form from one thing to another. That that life life isn't static. Yeah. What I find very impressive is that. Um even though Europa is so far away from our sun, it's still able to um, get heat from, you know, Jupiter's um, tidal friction. You know, when it orbits so close, to, um, it creates like um, a stretching of the core of uh, Europa. Right, right. It, 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 gets its, it gets its warmth from the core, from its own core, yeah. right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, so there's huge potential for life there. We should be exploring our solar system, man. I mean, uh, Titan, Europa, um, there, what's what's the other one? Um there's, there's a leak, isn't it? What's that? Titan's got methane, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's yeah. it, the entire surface is is a, like a like a huge sheet of ice, 
Yeah. Is it a Titan or Europa you're talking about? Titan? Titan. Titan. Yeah, Titan, Titan the atmosphere is, is uh yeah, is is toxic, but at the same time, there there is a, a level of atmosphere there that can be um uh what do you call it? We can we can we can go there and we can um you know create um you know create an atmosphere that's similar to Earth's. Yeah, terraforming. Uh, terraforming, we'll, yeah, that's it. Yeah, it'll be possible real soon because uh SpaceX is supposed to be sending some astronauts to Mars in year 2026, so that should be interesting. They're going to start a, like a settlement there, and they're going to live off like um, the minerals and the ice that's there because they're going to turn the you know water yeah. in the form of ice right right now. You, you saw, uh, I mean, you saw um, the Martian, right? I mean, with uh, Ben Affleck. Um, I mean, not Ben Affleck, uh, Matt Matt Damon. Sorry, um, like. Uh, like they were, they're doing it. If you see it in the movies, if it's if it's some kind of a concept that that filmmakers have created, then it's absolutely possible that it's probably going to happen in the next like five yeah. years. You know? Yeah, um, just like in the movie Total Recall. Yeah, a lot of yeah. Stuff there. yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, that, that was that, that, that super elevator that bored their way through the Earth. I don't think we're going to come up with anything like that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, I was just watching something on how like Arnold and the and the girl how their eyes bug out and stuff and how they no, they I'm go talking about the new one. Oh, yeah, the new one? Oh, yeah. yeah. I'm talking about the new one. <laughs> that was kind of forgettable. Guys, isn't Except this funny? Like, like, seriously, isn't this funny how we get talking about morality, and then next thing you know, we're talking about all the different types of life forms that could survive in other places in the solar system and science fiction movies. Well, that's, like, that's, that's, that's every, me, man. I, I have I tend to like I tend to wander, and one thing kind of leads to another. So I know you, know, you want to get you want to keep the the focus. I mean, just. Just reel me back in. And yeah, but up. once again, everything is connected. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Um, and, he, and here's an interesting thing. Like um, earlier you mentioned how it's like not good to, I think, have like a, a fixed uh, morality or something. Right, like, right. I mean the, literally the Ten Commandments are written in stone. I mean how much more stagnant and, and anachronistic can you be? It, it, you know, it's, it needs to be – it needs to be completely malleable. It, it should be written in water. It should be written in uh, in, a, in our hearts. You know, like that's. It should be written in the green. Bring it up of, the Ten Commandments as well, because the Ten Commandments are just so black and white. And this is why Richard Dawkins says he doesn't believe in moral absolutes, because you need a moral system that's subject to change. If you have a fixed yeah. moral system, then how can you learn anything new? You know. You got it, and and because life is always in a constant state of flux and change, so so we we must be in order to survive and, and move with it exactly, um, yeah. like as we evolve and and as our intelligence and and uh, consciousness and self awareness emerges, so too our morality must evolve and and um, and adapt and change and. So it's a slippery slope because you'll say, well, "Oh, then morality is subjective. There's no objective morality." Well, there is no objective morality in a sense on a universal scale because life is not a stagnant thing. Life is always evolving and changing. So, yeah, that's but what in terms, I mean it in a religious yeah. sense. I mean, the universe yeah. doesn't tell us that we're objectively sure. villains or heroes, good or evil. You know. Right, it's not right. telling that you deserve to go to hell for saying you did in the past. You know? Good, good, and evil are only applicable to uh, human beings who have the capacity to uh, distinguish right from wrong on that on that cognitive level. Um, yeah. Obviously, animals animals avoid pain, and and they have a they have a level of sort of morality that they yeah. that they operate with. But I wouldn't call it morality. I would just call it instinct, survival instincts, and and altruism. Altru um, altruism, yeah. Um, and as for 
pain and pleasure. I would say that pain and pleasure are objectively in existence because we can experience and observe these things. These things are provable, tangible, um, and testable in a laboratory. You know, so yeah, they, they are they are objective uh, realities, uh, pain and pleasure, uh, but they're all in relation to the organism and the individual um, because you know watch the Hellraiser movies or like check out any kind of like, you know, fetish, fetish porn and people are getting off on their, 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 in their minds, their, their neurons are switching it. And so they're getting off on the pain aspect and it feels pleasurable to them. So what what's pleasurable, what's painful to one person would be pleasurable to someone else. Um, that's not to say, like I said, I'm reiterating that, uh, that there, it's not that morality is subjective. There is a general, there's a general sort of objectivity to it, and then on an individualized level, it should always go back to to what is healthy, what is healthy, what is life promoting, to the individual, to the species, to the environment, to the whole. You know what 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 produces a uh, higher quality of life. Yeah, and you can even, you can even reduce that down and try to figure out well what what does that mean? What what's higher quality of life? I would say longevity, um, fulfillment, joy physical the sensation um the body the body operating in um in balance with itself you know where, where all systems are all systems are functioning at an optimal level that and is that's how we discussed other life forms that exist on other planets i mean even though astronauts are going to go on to mars and live off the ice to um you know to make their oxygen to make their drinkable water um, they'll still have to cooperate with, you know, their co-workers and stuff. Otherwise, if they don't cooperate, then their plan for survival sure. is just going to fall apart. Yeah? yeah, it's it's all about it's it's literally all about like coexistence and cooperation. That that um, essentially, you know, nature nature operates using both. It, it's it's in competition with itself until it recognizes that cooperation is better, and then as it recognizes that cooperation is better, altruism and uh, you know, cooperation, home, homeostasis becomes yeah, the norm. So symbiotic relationships become the norm. Just, you know, too primitive. I think what's we, that? What's that? I, I said survival of fittest, as in terms of competition. I think that's like too right. primitive. We need to be cooperating. With yeah, we're way beyond that. We're way, way beyond that. Um, that like that. That's the way. Uh, I always say lower and higher, but I mean in a cognitive uh, sense, lower life forms operate. They literally fight against their own. They fight against the other. They fight against the outside forces. They fight for mating rights, for territory. Yeah. But you um, all right? hum humans are well. We learned how to cooperate. Uh, what's up? Exactly. What's up? WSD wants to say something. What's up? Not exactly. Not exactly. Okay. We, um, Enlighten me. If we um if we learn to cooperate with that, why are we still fighting on that? Why are we still having wars? We, no, I mean it. I mean it in a in an overall sense. That's the direction we're moving toward. Obviously, we may destroy ourselves uh, because of these primitive tendencies. But I'm saying, when you look at evolution, when you look at uh, primitive, I mean, much much more primitive cultures and um, and how we've just in the last you know 300, 400, 500 years, we so we are say, evolving. So we say we're not as bad as we used to be, basically. Right, right. We're yeah, we're moving right. toward a. Well, well, I still feel that we're that we're a violent species. Just, yeah, absolutely. Because to we're, me, we're to me, feel like, yeah, we got smarter, but still, like we got crave on how to hurt each other. Like, why are we still building nukes? Our ethics, morality, our our uh, 
yeah, our ethics and morality have not evolved in tandem with our intelligence level, with our technology. Our technology and our intelligence level um, has not has not involved has not evolved in tune with and um, in in balance with the other primitive aspects of our of our psyche. Absolutely, like uh, Chris Richens used to say, you know, our adrenal glands are too big. You know, uh, our our frontal lobes is too small. We um we're we're a chromosome away from a, a chimp, and it shows. You know. And so it's, it's because it's a process. I mean, you got to look at it, step back and look at it, it kind of starts and stops and a kind of a jagged, like a jagged road that kind of goes in every direction and, and whatever is successful works and whatever doesn't. And so look, look, look at it, you know, the whole scale and scope of things, you know, we are evolving. It's just a slow process and we're right in the middle of it, you know? Yeah. It's like yeah. Jeff Ruskin says though, if you use the scientific method, um, then people will learn that. Um, learning is an ongoing process, you know. Who said that? Who, who are we talking no, about? Fresco. No, oh, Fresco, yeah, yeah. Right, right. Yeah, it's an ongoing process, you know. You, yeah, you uh, know, you know, I'm, uh, I'm 100, percent um, you know, uh, in agreement and accord with, um, you know, with PJ and, and Fresco, absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah. That those guys, uh, like everything that they've talked about, um, everything they represent is exactly the way we should structure our, our world. And as, even with what Dawkins says, I mean, they, they say he's just like a snide British prick, but I mean, he's, he's right. We need to intelligently design our, our society, our, our culture. There is no intelligent design. Well, I would disagree. I would say that's embedded in, in nature. Um, the, the penchant and the potential for intelligence is always there. Um, but it's like I was just saying before that nature is cruel. Nature has no real morality, but morality has arisen from nature. We are nature. Remember, we are yeah. we are products of nature. So nature has morality. Every human being that thinks and feels and experiences, um, you know, sympathy and empathy. That's that's nature showing its its ability to uh, express and <clears throat> and exhibit morality. So. Yeah, um, and that's why I find that cooperation helps our survival. Because if you have competition and um, you go go around killing people, then you're that mu- you're that much closer to extinction, right? So. Yeah, you. I mean, you read my. I'm sure a couple of you guys have read my article on uh, the naturalistic fallacies and human evolution. Um, that like that's you know competition was nature's way. That was nature's primitive way to get us to this point. Now that we're at this point, we can do better. We we know that we can cooperate. We know that we. That, that we don't have to – I mean I, I had a cousin come live with me. I mean here's an anecdotal story. I mean really quick who was from the Bronx, from New York. you know. Mm-hmm. And everywhere we went, man, he was like, what the fuck are you looking at? What are you looking at? Like that guy's staring at me. I'm like, dude, they're just – there's just people walking by. They're, you know, they're, it's nothing personal. He was so – he was so in that mode, engrossed yeah. in that that fight or flight, that that he couldn't even stand if someone like looked in his direction. He he took it as a front. He took it as a threat that that they, you know, wanted to fight him or they had a problem with him. And that so he was in that defensive. I mean, that's a human being living in the 21st century. So think about it. I mean, yeah. like we're still, you know, kind of trapped in that primitive, um, you know, survival mode, uh, uh, living uh, according to sort of naturalistic laws. Um, and, and we need, but yet within the the structure of society, we can educate ourselves and we can rise above it. We can move beyond that. And now he's like a father of like, you know, three kids and he's like, 
UPS guy and he, he's a super nice guy and he, he's a great family man and a great dad and he has dogs and cats and he's just like this lovable person. But because of his, and you, you get this, I know you get this, Jamie, because of his environment, because he was raised in the Bronx, because he was raised around a lot of like mafia and gangs and, and always had that kind of, um, had to always keep his guard up. You know, he was responding, you know, to his environment. He had to be gangs as kids they grow up in very rough areas where they're in yeah. competition with another person like if they, if they were seen as a soft person or a weak person or whatever yeah. I mean they would constantly be bullied or you know they would just get killed in a right. nest so yeah, to survive yeah. to survive they had to be tough yeah that that's yeah. The, the primitive survival mechanism is I need to survive I need to adapt I need to become a monster myself that's all serial killers all children that are abused end up being abusive I think I just watched Halloween uh, Rob Zombie's Halloween 2 it was literally all about that you know um, how he was actually he had given up and he wasn't going to kill and then the guys came and they, they were beating him with a bat and yeah. that's when he put the mask back on and he became that monster again he was just like this hobo I don't know if you guys saw the uh, Rob Zombie's Halloween 2 it, it was the um, that's exactly why when I go to New York or go to Philly well I live in yeah. Philly there's certain areas I avoid yeah, and yeah, it's yeah. Like, yeah. Said, I mean, uh, your laws have to coincide with the nature of reality if 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 you um if the laws don't fit the circumstances of which the person is in, then those laws will be violated always. Yeah. Right, right. So say like you can't apply the, the ethics and the morality that, 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 that we as philosophers would – what we would exhibit, what we would um, portray. You can't take that mentality you know, to, uh, to South Central and, um, and some places like he said in Philly and, and, and whatever in the city and, and act that way, you have to literally adapt or you're going to get killed or you're, you're not going to be smart. You're not going to be able to. So there you go. Cause, cause someone could be literally acting nice to you and they're really trying to rob you or, you know, rape your girlfriend or, or whatever. So you got to go, you got to get primitive with it and you got to, you have to respect your own, your own, uh, life your, your own life principle first and protect yourself and if you, if need be, defend yourself and you need to inflict harm and cause suffering on another person to protect your own life. So it just – it sucks. It's it's just our world is not um, balanced, yeah, consistent. Yeah, man. Yeah, our, our world is not consistent. It's not balanced. It's not uh, it's not evolving in, 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 a, in a healthy, balanced way. Uh, so it's really, it's up to, I don't know, is it up, what would you guys say? Is it up to the majority? Is it information? Is it media? Uh, how do you, how do you civilize, how do you civilize the world? There's still places where, where people practice cannibalism, you know? Yeah. Well, obviously a relevant education is the best way to do it, but you know, whether or not people accept this is another thing, right? Are you still there Chandler? Yeah, I'm still here. I just have my mic muted cause you guys are talking. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, anyway, yeah. Well, it's you know it's a quagmire. We're in it, but uh, you gotta you gotta look at you gotta look at the bigger picture. And if you can see that we are more evolved than we were a hundred years ago, that we're more evolved today than we were yesterday. Every day is a learning experience, and those who are um, who are on the path of uh, you know of, of educating themselves and, and becoming more um, more virtuous and and more ethical than 
you know, that there is, there is hope because yeah. that's, that's what it seems like life wants. So we may not get there individually, but we're going to get there. We're going to, we're going to get yeah, there. There's been documentaries on youths who have been in like uh, gang culture for a long time and they were pressured, but they were pressured into, you know, selling drugs and doing other kinds of crimes because right. they got jealous about whatever people, you know, they sure. got jealous about things that other people had and they felt yeah. like they had to, you know, have these things. Yeah, they had to, for identity, like a sense of self-identity, they had to, exactly. uh, all the bling bling. Yeah, that's structural violence. There it is. Um, what was I going to say? Oh, okay, so here, let me think about this for a minute. Um, take someone from the Middle Ages, take someone from maybe the 16th century, even 15th century uh, in, in Europe and England or, or whatever. Now put them in this society right now, okay? Mm-hmm. This is paradise. I mean we've got running water. We've got – um, all this automation, we've got, uh, you know, laws keeping people from robbing and stealing, basically, you know, but l- just th- this is the, the contextual, the point here is that we are always moving forward and we are always better than where we were. And like, this is a paradise to, to other people. I mean, uh, you see the movie Castaway. Remember Castaway? This is a great sort of visual of, of this. And Castaway, when Tom Hanks, he spent like weeks and weeks trying to make fire Right, and this is like one of his first nights there on the island, and then after he goes through this whole entire ordeal, he's back in the states. He's back in civilized society. He's looking at this huge table laid out with all this food and like crab and lobster, and um, and then he just picks up one of those um, what, what do you call those little extended lighters, and he just lights it with a click, and it's like wow, like everything he went through, the irony of it, everything he went through to try to make fire. And it's we we have it in our in our society in our culture it's right there you know like a little a little machine like that and he liked ice a lot because he he could never get ice on on the island so he learned to appreciate these things again that goes right back to my point man like we uh, we we would not have any level of pleasure or or enjoy things if we if we didn't have some form of if if it didn't if it wasn't absent in some form from us in order to achieve it. Sometimes achieving it and, and striving for it is, is, is the joy. And then even when you get what you want, it's not as enjoyable. And then you move on to the next thing. I, I go through this all the time. I, like some days I go, I don't eat. I'm just too focused on writing or whatever. And I'm like super hungry and I'm thinking about what I want to eat. And I get like a, a catch a smell or something that I, that I want. And then I go somewhere else and then I end up like smelling something else. I don't even want what I originally wanted. Or when I get what I want, if I go out to eat or something – it doesn't satisfy me. And then I'm looking at what the person next to me has and theirs looks better. So it's, it's this, there's the constant drive for the novel and the, and the new experiences. I, I believe it's a completely psychological thing that, you know, we, we will literally crave whatever it is we don't have and whatever we create in our minds to be the ideal. And then when we get that ideal, if we have it long enough, we won't appreciate it anymore. Then we have to move on and we desire something else. That's the nature of life. That's the nature of existence is to, Whenever a poor person steals or whenever they get jealous about what other people have, it's like you said, it's structural violence. They're not they're not bad people, they're just products of nature and nurture, right? So Yeah, I, I see I see Pafo's point how people they tend not to appreciate what they already have. They're always wanting something new, you know, they're always, always wanting something more. Um, I think that goes back to the point he was trying to make earlier about like how 
we wouldn't experience uh, like we wouldn't appreciate pleasure if that was all there was. Is that what? Yeah, there'd be there'd be no there'd be no such thing. There would literally be no such thing. I'm looking at your um your icon right now, right? This uh, sort of um, hexagonal. Uh, octagonal oh yeah, that yeah that tape. thing. <laughs> I made an and, and I'm I'm literally I'm seeing I'm seeing the Magan David in there. The um, you know the uh, the Star of David, the, the hexagon. I'm seeing it, and I'm seeing the contrast of the black against the white. Now imagine if it was all black. Would it be good or would it be bad? Would it be what would it be if it's all black and that's all you see? Or imagine if it was all white. Now imagine that you have black for a good portion of time and you have a little bit of white. You would want the white. And imagine if you had the white like for a good portion of the time and you only had a little bit of the black. You would want the black. Um, <laughs> the Buddha – this is exactly why the Buddha left the palace in, in the story. Um, Siddhartha, he gave up all of his riches and, and, and the pleasures and the lavish luxury and the, the, the decadent lifestyle because he saw the suffering of his people. He saw what other people went through and he, he didn't feel right. He knew that that like it was wrong and he, he sought out to understand why uh, you know why humans and animals suffer. Um, and he gave it up. I mean because to him on a certain level, like that wasn't enjoyable anymore to just stay in that palace protected and, and kind of – hedged in and and have everything he could ever ask for everything he could ever want that was not pleasurable because he saw the the little bits of the amount of suffering an old man what was it a sick man an old man and then i forgot there was there's three that he ran into um and he wanted to he, he actually made himself experience that he became like an ascetic um and he experienced almost killed himself starved himself and you know in the body the bodily mortification process of trying to find enlightenment and then then it was all he realized there was a couple different stories but it was about the um the guitar string and that you know you can't uh have it have it too tightly and you can't have it too loose it has to be that the middle way is the best way it's all about balance so i mean there's a lot of different um things you could take away from that so it's the idea that uh you having one thing all the time will no longer be a good thing and having even even if that good thing was something that you desired before. Once you have it, you get used to it, and and that's the nature of of existence of of life. Life always wants to seek seek out novelty, you know, seek out to boldly go where no one has gone before. You know, like you all you want the 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 new world, the the new frontier, the new horizon to to the challenge of getting to the top of that mountain and and then seeing what's beyond that. You know, that's what it's all about. So. It's it's not about being stagnant because life is not stagnant. Life is always seeking greater and greater levels of expression, self-expression, and experience. Yeah, I, I, I see what you're getting at there. Yeah, if it was just one thing that we experience all the time, it would it would cease to be desirable after a while. In fact, you guys may have heard of this. There are some people who claim that an afterlife, if it existed, like heaven or, or hell, even heaven, like would get extremely boring after a while and they'd want out. <laughs> depends on, yeah, dep of course, I've heard it. It depends on what your heaven is. If it's described in the Bible, that's that's hell. That's North Korea, like Christians <laughs> yeah. used to say. It's worshiping and groveling and praising day after day. I mean, it's, it's a nightmare. It's complete yeah. servitude. No, heaven for me is exploration, is being able to explore, to go beyond the boundaries of this life, to go beyond the boundaries of the body, to to literally 
learn new things every single day and to and this is very important to create new things to be creative to to literally um express yourself and and evolve and and continue this this process this cycle of creation and destruction which is what makes the whole thing possible um like it's all about like like being creative to me heaven would be coexisting with every other life form in peace and in harmony and being able to explore and experience new things and not knowing what's what's next not knowing that's why we enjoy movies that's why we enjoy books that's why the universe exists because yeah. omnia wanted to experience something new you know what annoys me about christians uh, sometimes is that they they waste their time waiting for some you know paradise in an afterlife and sure. they they um, take it to the extreme where they just don't bother making the paradise on earth, you know? Yeah, absolutely. It's the worst, uh, especially ones that believe in pre-tribulation rapture and whatever, um, that they're going to get taken up, up out of the out of the world. I mean, it, it, you completely negate the responsibility we have as, as stewards, as, as the most – and I say this uh, with some caveats. I mean, I guess you guys can – you're on the level. You understand me. But when I say we're the most intelligent species on this planet – we have a responsibility. We should be stewards of the planet. We should be um, caretakers of the earth and, and protectors of the environment and of ourselves and of the, every other living organism and, and learn to coexist. And sometimes that might be, you know, population control. That might be selective breeding. You know, whatever it takes, uh, it, it should be about balance. And a lot of people, of course, would say, oh, that's eugenics. Oh, you're, you sound like a Nazi. So you're going to control everything. But Seriously, people just don't – they don't think this stuff through. They, they're, they're too caught up in their, their biological imperatives and their cultural conditioning and their, um, their presumed ideas of, of what's right and what's wrong. You know, uh, as, as people, as mediators would say, you know, we've got to eat. We, uh, you know, animals are, are here and that's, that's the law of nature and, uh, you know, life feeds on life. We're all heterotrophic organisms, so that's the way it's supposed to be. But – you know, I mean, Chandler, I'm sure have come to this realization that, you know, it doesn't have to be that way. And um, you're, you're making this naturalistic fallacy looking backwards at what primitive nature is doing instead of recognizing, well, we don't, you know, we brush our teeth, man. Like we women shave their armpits. We wash our hair. We um, we go to the bathroom. We have plumbing. We we uh, you know, we do all kinds of things that that primitive nature doesn't do. You know, we don't even if you're a mediator, you don't chase down your food, rip it apart with your teeth, eat it alive, and drink <laughs> the blood. Right? Yeah, that's so right. We're not, we're not really carnivores, man. We're something else. We're we're omnivores who like to think when we feel like it that we're carnivores, you know, and, and like to make these associations, but they don't exist because you're not you're not ripping apart. Look at your nails for a minute. And tell yeah. me if that can hang on to a gazelle. Look at your legs and tell me if you can run as fast as a cheetah to catch an antelope. You know, look at your teeth and tell me if you can rip apart uh, uh, the skin, the hide of a buffalo. Well, just about the bite force we have, and the strength <laughs> we have, and yeah. the speed we have, not a chance. <laughs> We're not that good. You know what? Hey, Chandler, I just re I just remember this is what I wanted to talk about. This is well, this was the subject I wanted to talk about was what. Uh, what we're evolving into, the idea of evolution. Remember that long time ago I said this – I wanted to uh, to get into this, that we actually are pretty pathetic in terms of physical evolution. We're not that strong. We're not that fast. We can't – our eyes aren't that good. What we are good at is thinking and contemplating 
and manipulating our environment and using logic and reason and you know and and having imagination and and complex um you know the the complex thinking and complex abstraction and, and the thought processes that's what we are good at and that's why we're almost like we're evolving down a completely different path because you throw us out in nature i mean you ever watch that show though it's pretty cool uh was it like um naked and afraid and they, they drop these people off and they're completely naked and they give them like a knife they give them like two objects and then they have to survive for like two weeks two three weeks um they make, make food and shelter and it's it's pretty awesome but we're really we have evolved so that we're dependent on our inventions on our technologies these extensions of ourselves I'm starting to sound like Jason Silva. He goes off about all this, about transhumanism, <laughs> how technology is like the extension of ourselves and how we, uh, we, we are no longer – we're like these – like an avatar. We're like these weak little worms sort of inside the shell of everything that we've created. Right now, I'm, we're, using, we're using extended ears right now to, to listen to each other, extended ears and extended voices. Our vocal cords are now – are extended through these, these computer interfaces – and we're listening with with ear ear extensions, basically with ampl- amplified um, audio uh, yeah. <laughs> tools. Yeah, so, I get so what you're that's saying, how we're Papo. Evolving. Yeah, we, we yeah, I get exactly what you're saying, Papo. The way human civilization and the technology it has enabled us to overcome our weaknesses and the fact that we are really pathetic, <laughs> you know, in, in our abilities when compared to these other animals and so the only thing we've got going for us is our our deep philosophical analysis and our technology our, brains, our, bra- our big brains and yeah our big brains and our ability to uh to contemplate and reason and um and ruminate and reflect because we have the time i mean that, don't get me wrong we didn't get here <clears throat> just by using our brains we were the most um uh, dexterous uh, species because we were bipedal because we had opposable thumbs because we walked upright because of our, our because of all the all the components came together in the early hominids where, where the early primates were the were the most efficient and and because of our ability to use tools because of our um, our social um, um, our, our uh, social inclinations that we worked in groups you know that because of the cooperation because of all these different things we became the most successful and then as we evolved and, and became homo sapiens um we we are now developing into homo technologists i don't know homo intuitists <laughs> now so we 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 have, we have now evolved beyond the physical mode where it's just fight or flight and survive and instead of growing a thicker coat of hair on our back um, to protect us from the winter, we actually killed animals and wore their skins, and we build houses now. And we protect ourselves from the elements like that. So we're we're evolving inward and and using environment as extensions of ourselves. And so I don't know where I'm going with this, but I guess it's the idea of what are we evolving into? And oh, I, I think this is the point. We should not go backwards and and think that like on any level. We are subject to Darwinian evolution. We are no longer subject to Darwinian evolution at all. We are not. So we are. We are completely carving out our own path now, and that means we should never make um, correlations or associations or try to try to make comparisons between us and other apex predators or other you know lions and tigers and bears. 
Yeah, see, yeah. Oh, my. (laughs) And I was like, uh, we should not make that comparison to what we are now, you know, as evolved Homo sapiens backwards and think that anything that applies to primitive nature that applies to organisms in nature applied to us because they don't. We're in a completely different paradigm now. Yeah, I agree. We're on a whole different system that removes us from what previously happened. Because previously what happened is if, say, there's some disabled member of any species, well, it's the first to get killed by predators. If it's blind or if it's deaf or if it's lame or whatever, then it just gets killed by predators or whatever. The genes genes don't get passed on, right? Exactly. Whereas what human – whereas what – yeah, but what what um, humans do in our society, at least the nicer of us, is that we don't just kill off the disabled. A, l- a lot of people want to; they're weird like that. But we actually try to make it so that everybody, regardless of their situation, can experience some happiness, live out their life. Sure, you know? it's it's part of the reason that we have the overpopulation problem. I mean, get this straight though: the Earth is not overpopulated with humans. Our societies, our cities are overpopulated. The earth can sustain everyone right now and more, but it's that our, our, our cramped, uh, congested cities and metro areas and, and, and even in squalor, the, the places in poverty and, and um, in third world countries and stuff are completely overpopulated in a, um, in, a, in a clustered kind of congested way. But we could spread out if we could make use of of all the resources we could spread out and, and we could live comfortably everywhere, but the education level is not there. But yeah, everything you're saying, yeah, absolutely. Like, um, it's, it's a completely different paradigm. So we're, we're looking at a level of evolution that no other species is engaged in right now, except us. Um, and I was, Oh, I was about to say is kind of an important point that can all get taken away. Like literally, that can all get taken away with a solar flare, an EMP blast that will wipe out the grid and we go right back to the fucking Stone Age where we're having to survive, live off the land. We're having to um, grow our own food and, and then we will start physically evolving again and we will – and we will, but hopefully we'll have the same, the same intelligence from the memory of, of how far we came in society and we'll be able to, to sort of rebuild but we could go backwards. We could lose everything. There could be a natural disaster. We could lose our infrastructure. Our, our entire way of life could change. And then we go back. And then it's the indigenous peoples who will be our guides. And it's the it's the people who are the natives and the people who are already living close to the earth and we're growing their own food and we're sustainable, living in sustainable communities. They will become the most important people. Fuck the politicians, man. Fuck all these <laughs> sports superheroes what the hell are we looking to these people for <laughs> that are they're in these constructs that that have no relevance or value or meaning to the real world if you if you you know tear apart this this societal social structure break down the monetary system it's useless it's pathetic maybe an athlete will will be um uh you know someone's physically fit will will have more endurance and will be stronger but they definitely won't have survival skills so we need to look to the the indigenous cultures and and the Native Americans and the people who um who are living close to the land and are living close to the earth and respect um you know plants and animals and and understand um you know like herbalism and can can grow their own food and can build shelter and can you know basic uh, survival um survival skills and uh, foraging skills and things like that that will be the currency that will be the most important thing and. Our society is completely backwards, and we're not ready for that, like at all. So, what I was trying to say was, we could start evolving 
you know, on a, on a primitive level, again, if we lose our technology, if we lose the internet, if we lose all of our, uh, communication systems and, 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 you know, we'll be, we'll go backwards, but hopefully we'll have the records of all this information, this knowledge still, still there <laughs> somehow, whether it's in books or, or, or whatever, just through our, our cognitive, uh, you know, our memories and, and we'll be able to start over and start again. Yeah. This is so interesting, but it is like my bedtime. I really need to, I really need to end this so I can get to bed. Um, and I do feel like we got, like we didn't really stay on the topic of morality all that much. It seems like we kind of got I tried. Yeah, we, we try. You know, we got off on to interesting uh, what life is out in the universe and 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 all this all this all this fun stuff about how humans are ha, are separate. We're no longer subject to natural selection because of the way we do things now. Um, so yeah, it, it's all really cool stuff though. So I'm I'm still not exactly sure how to title this episode. So maybe somebody can send me suggestions about that. But yeah. Um, was there anything anyone else wanted to say before I end this one? Nope, that's uh, it. I think that's it. Yeah, well, that all right. Well, we talked about. Well, thanks just, for thanks for having me on, Chandler. Thanks for. Oh uh, yeah, it's always it's always fun having you on, Pafo. Even though we tend to get off in some kind of weird lane whenever you join us. <laughs> hey, as long as it's educational, as long as uh, as long as somebody's going to get something out of this, even if it's not you guys, even if it's the people who listen, um, as long as you know. Uh, the voice of reason is, is getting out there and, and it's helping people to evolve and, and educate themselves, you know, to, to further the evolution of our species. That's all I care about, man. Yeah. Well, I know I sure enjoyed it. <laughs> I did too. I just enjoyed listening. That was good guys. Yeah. Okay. Well, you've been listening to the impersonal opinion podcast and we started out talking about morality and we got into a little bit about pleasure and pain and some new perspectives were brought up um, that I never thought of, such as like it wouldn't be pleasure if that was all we had. Um, so yeah, I mean I sure hope you enjoyed this, uh, this variety of topics that we talked about in this episode. Um, so I guess you can – you can comment and send us your questions and stuff wherever I upload this. Um, thank you for listening and goodbye.